Hey everybody, you're listening to the High Sessions Hawaii Podcast, where we talk about everything local and beyond. I am your host, Johnny Misato, and joining me today is Mr. Kyle Shimabukuro. How's it? Devin Nakoba. Stop. And before we get... John got a haircut. I did. Today. John got a haircut. My wife cut my hair. Wow, John got a haircut. Yeah, man. Wow. Hey, take off your headphones. Let's just look at it here. What do you mean? It's just... Oh, yeah, it's short. It's just short. It's like the Kyle, there is no... Did she do like Kyle and leave off the little guide thing that keeps you from cutting off all your hair? There was a guide there. Yeah, she just put on the, the whatever guide and okay. just buzzed it all. Doesn't that feel good? Well, see, Kyle thought he was yeah, using the guide so. and he wasn't, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Kyle's right. hair is growing out, but... Um, yeah, but we'll post a picture on the... on the. He's a client. He's okay now and that's why. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway... Please, please right. uh, give us uh, ratings. Yes, yes. Before we begin... And money so we can buy stuff for our people. Please know that we can, uh, you can stay in touch with the show at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at High Sessions. Go to SoundCloud, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts to listen to the show. And of course, you can find us on email at highsessions at yahoo.com. If you'd like to help the show and donate, get more music on the channel, please go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. There you will get more involved with the show, help to determine who comes on the show. Actually, a lot of our guests are people that just suggest, hey, can you get Lieutenant Governor mm-hmm. Josh Green on the show? It's like, okay, we'll ask him. You know, so uh, we do listen to the patrons. I uh, would like to thank TJ from Honolulu for signing up this week. Thank you, TJ. And individually, thanks, TJ. please go to uh, Kumu 94.7 in the mornings, listen to Devin. You can go to highlife808.com for your t-shirts and accessories and clothing wear for Kyle and uh, etsy.com for uh, wandering sea for masks, my wife, Stacy. So how are you doing, guys? How's it? It's been a week. It's been quite a week. It's been Good? crazy. Yeah. yeah. I have to tell you, I did something last week right after the podcast that, that I haven't done since the pandemic started. So it's pretty pretty interesting i want to know your thoughts i went out to dinner at a restaurant oh I yeah did. wow yeah. yeah so my client uh four you, of you went no no it was a it oh. was a client wanted to kind of take me out we had a sale that closed and so we went to merriman's out in a ward Ooh, that place is fancy yeah it's a fancy place although they weren't doing inside eating they were just doing outside seats which was fine it was a perfect day the thing about, you know, today is really rainy for those of you here, in, uh, not in Hawaii. It's, it, we're getting, starting to get the wet weather, but it's still hot. So it's, it's this mm-hmm. transitional phase between getting really hot and cold. So you get this wet time of October. But last week it was perfect. I mean, it was not, not windy. It was clear. The skies was blue and we went out there. They didn't have a full menu, uh, but I still got to eat some prime rib steak which was excellent. Although they didn't nice. have rice, which was weird. Yeah, I don't understand huh. that, man. When you're in Hawaii, you got to have rice. Yeah, they were serving it with fries, which... Yeah, you see? That's, that's fighting words, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would even go with a baked potato or something because when I, I've been to Texas and, and they, you know, you eat your steak with potatoes there, but 
French fries is always weird to me with a steak. Yeah. Just doesn't work, man. I, I don't I don't know about you guys. And you but know they, if you get you get uh, well, here's a tip for all the restaurants that are considering to have rice in the future. If you're gonna get white rice, get good white rice too, because locals know what junk rice tastes like. And if it's <laughs> if the rice is junk, we're not gonna go to your establishment and eat. Even if the rest of the meat or whatever you serve along with it is good, you know? Like I, there's places that I like their food, but I I don't I don't eat there because the white rice is not good. Wow, really? Yeah. I guess I'm not I'm not local enough. I don't really know that like white rice is white actually what they did give me was because I asked and they said, Well, we have like leftover garlic rice, but it's like jasmine rice. Yeah. You eat that? I'm like, Yeah, g- give it give it to me. It's actually really good. <laughs> so Jasmine rice? Okay. Yeah. It's all right. I went than- to uh I, I finally got a chance to do um uh cheap eats. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All your years of begging paid off. Bruh, I've been angling on that baby for how long? Remember when we had Guy on? I was like, yeah. Like, so what? Sure, bro. Like, sure. Where'd you go? Uh, Tan Tan. Uh, they are in Waikiki in the Royal uh, Shopping Center. Um, so, like, if you get out of the elevator on the third floor and you walk to your right, it's like right there. So usually what? what I what I know is they, they bring out the entire menu for you guys to eat pretty much, right? And all of it doesn't get eaten, so you usually get given away. But in this case, you yeah. probably ate it all, huh? Uh, no, because there was even more than I could handle. It's interesting watching the show being made, though. Oh, yeah? uh, it, was, it was quite fascinating. Yeah, because um, uh, guy was guy was joking because remember we were, when we were talking with him, he was like, you know, people ask him, how come he can't stay skinny? Brother, literally, he eats like, a couple bites and then that's it and then move on to the next thing mm. like like lena and lena and sam they would dig in like they would eat, eat the whole thing <laughs> which is fine but you know i mean uh, so uh it, it was interesting to to watch him shoot it because he you know he makes it look so good and then he just goes okay cut all right paul and it doesn't it doesn't dawn on him and he it was amazing love food, though, right he does like oh eating. yeah no no he loves he loves yeah. the food and and uh and the stuff that we got wow they have had a chirashi that was, you know, like this big and just had... Evan's holding up his hands about the size of a... Oh, plate. sorry. My hands, size of a small, maybe a small um, bento or medium-sized bento. And uh-huh. then just covered with all kinds of different fish and uh, the ikura. And yeah, it was, it was magnificent. And it's, that thing is 20 bucks and you get a regular size udon with it. That's oh, wow. a lot of it's a lot of food, man. I was like, yeah. wow. Yeah. Very it impressive. Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh. I brought some of it home. But they, uh, they're, I mean, and they even have, uh, they had like a chicken, they have a chicken katsu and uh, tonkatsu meal, which is like, a, they give you, it's a, not give you, but it's a, it's a bento, a tonkatsu bento, a chicken or a, a chicken karage bento. And then you get udon on top of it with everything else. Wow. What was it's the name cra- of the yeah, it's a crazy deal. What was the name of Suru, the Suru Tonton. Suru Tonton. Suru Tonton. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. go to try lunch, guys, when we can one day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right now it's all you know, just takeout. But uh, oh, I think yeah. the, the cheap eats thing is the cheap eats thing is is really a, a good deal, or at least for right now for people, because you know it's always good to find a new place to go eat. Plus, right, it's Royal Hawaiian or Royal Hawaiian Center, and there's like nobody there. Yeah. So parking is, you know how usually you have a hard time parking at that place? It was 
cake drive up. Well, boom, well when was this? Because uh, the other big news of the week last week was that tourism opened on October 15th. So yes, people who had the test, as Dr. Green was talking about, started yeah. coming in on October 15th. I have some thoughts. And there were people. That. There were people walking around. There were people walking around, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, it wasn't uncomfortable. The part that was weird was driving past. You know that main strip on Kalakaua, um, yeah. where you know 88Ts and all those other stores were. They're all gone. Like oh, a lot really? of them closed up. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> they're closed or they're they're yeah they're there's just nobody there and it's a trip. I can only imagine what it's like if you're walking by as a tourist. Because yeah. I think um, uh, Waikiki Okocho closed down. That whole that, oh, that whole, whole floor closed. Yeah, that whole oh floor my closed gosh. down. And it's such a bummer because there was some really great food there. I mean, just amazingly good food. Yeah. So yeah. Was it weird seeing tourists back in Waikiki when you're just hanging out for that little short time over there? Uh yeah. But yeah. it was it was small amounts. It was there was like a family of four, and then I saw a couple of people walking around. That was it. You know, yeah. it wasn't was anywhere. So what was interesting was uh, this weekend, my wife and our family went out to a beach house in Kaava. So we were, you know, on the uh, windward side of the island. And I had some work stuff that came up. So on Saturday, I had to drive home because I didn't bring my computer. I, I thought I was going to get away the whole weekend without having to work, you know, but uh, it didn't work out that way. Mm. But I have to say, you know, I did notice that there was traffic, you know, because on oh, that really? on that windward side, everybody kind of takes that scenic drive up to the North Shore and whatnot. It was definitely yeah. a big difference from Friday to Saturday. So you can already mm. feel the effects of the people coming in. You know what's spooky is I've been watching. I just saw a news thing. You know that right now Hawaii has the, the best rate of infect, like least infection in the entire United States. Yep. Oh, Everyone right. else is going up. We're winning. Why yep, is we're winning. Everyone that's been going down. Huh. But I feel with this tourist influx, things are going to change very, very fast. And I don't know oh, what that but, is. Nah, but we're also, we're also as usual, uh, what, about a month, maybe two months behind the mainland? Because that's what happened last time. They started to spike and we were good. And then we started to spike and then they got better. And then we started to get better and now they're spiking. So it's just... It's that same thing. I don't know. Music, food, clothing stuff. Pandemics. <laughs> we're always we're <laughs> pandemics. We're always a month or two behind the mainland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just hope the tourist influx is not going to help it increase more. Yeah. Well, I mean the the testing thing and that and the fact that people are not understanding why. Uh, you know, we're inviting tourists in while telling people when they go out with their families, they have to wear a mask. Exactly. And I, I, and I get that, but you know, they're supposed to be wearing a mask regardless. So we'll see. Well, it's a double-sided coin because uh, as Lieutenant Governor talked about a couple of weeks ago, I mean, you got to at some point start opening up the economy and getting things going. So I, I get that part. On the other hand, there's people super mad about you know, visitors coming in to the to the islands, and they're yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's very very passionate feelings on both sides. Yeah, yeah. I, we should get Sean back on. He started an odyssey. Yeah, yeah. You start coming back from the mainland and all the things you have to go through to get tested. The yeah. system's yeah. still broken. It's trying to fix it, but it's still broken. You know. 
and we had him we had him on the station and it was oh, you did. It was quite a yeah it was quite a story yeah and i think he just posted some kind of video about it but yesterday on his on his facebook page or something mm-hmm. but it'd be interesting to get that guy back on you know just to give us an update about what he'd been through you know yeah, yeah that would be interesting i know that i had a i had a client he has a house here that uh, he flew in because he needs to do some work on it and things like that. And he said it was not, not bad. He didn't really have much problems getting through. So. Well, that, well, that's the thing that Sean was saying, though. If you are a, if you are visiting, if you're not a returning, if you're not a returning Kamaaina, it's cake. But if you are coming back from the mainland after being, you know, if you're trying to get back because uh, you live here and you've yeah. been gone for like two, three days, it's, it's just insane. That's why they were there for an extra five days because they couldn't get a test. Yeah. Had to, you know, they had to drive two hours just to get that test. And that was ridiculous. And then the best, the, the part that he told me that was tripping me out was he said, um, you know, when he went, when they would go and ask to take the test, it was the same questions, right? Do you have a fever? Are you currently sick? Nope. Okay, you don't qualify. Yeah, but I have to take the test to come back. So then he would have to lie and say, oh, well, you know, we're not feeling that good. So we need to take a test. And then the second question is, do you live, are you from California? Oh, no, we're from Hawaii because we're trying to get back home. No, nope, you don't qualify. Wait, but we're trying to get back home. So then they used the hotel room or the hotel address to signify that they were in California. You know what I mean? Like, so they had to uh-huh. work out all these workarounds. And then, right, it's like a hundred bucks or something to do the test. And I'm not sure if I'm supposed to tell this part, but I'm going to tell that anyway. He said, <laughs> he said that, uh, uh, I go, wow, that's, that's a lot to get tested for. It costs a lot of money. He goes, no, wasn't anything. I go, what do you mean, wasn't anything? He said, when it came time for them to figure out payment, right? They told people, apparently, if you're HMSA or, you know, Kaiser or one of those, it doesn't count. But if you tell them you have absolutely no way to pay, it's free. Oh. Huh. <laughs> so they just said, yeah, we don't have medical coverage. <laughs> <laughs> And then so they're like, know that in well, advance, or does he not have medical coverage? Like, did he know that? No, like, no, he has. He has. Yeah. He just, he just, they had the. They're, they're just trying to figure <laughs> their way back. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. No. I, it'd be, yeah, I'll, I'll ask because I have a, a good friend of mine who went up to Seattle to visit, and he's supposed to come back today. So. See how oh, yeah. his uh, experience is. And he lives here. You know, he well, just and, went up. And, and then that was the other thing. They got the test, right? But then yeah. they came back before they got the results of the test. So they quarantined to get the, till they get the results. They get the results. It's negative. And then they can't get it to the state. <laughs> oh, right. Because <laughs> they can't call anybody. And the only way that you get screened is when you arrive. Once you're in the state, it doesn't matter and you can't. So he's like, I have to break quarantine in order to tell them that I don't need to quarantine anymore. It was ridiculous. And, and maybe, you know, I mean, he was one of the first people probably to come back. So hopefully they worked out some of the kinks because he was all over the news. Like everybody knew what happened. Yeah, I, I, was, I, saw, I saw a lot of that stuff popping up. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to uh, put, put everybody on hold because we have Jasper in the waiting room. So bring oh, cool. him in and we'll start in a couple seconds with Jasper Wong. Okay, so let me, let me do my, our introduction. Uh, we're here with uh, Mr. Jasper Wong. He's an artist illustrator, has had uh, uh, exhibits in Japan, California, France, London, Mexico, New York, 
Hong Kong, Chicago, and Australia, just to name a few. He's been selected as uh, Archive Magazine's one of 200 best illustrators multiple times. I had to actually break down his bio because I figured, I felt like it was going to go too long if I named all of his accolades. Um, he's also the lead director of Pow Wow, a nonprofit committed to community enrichment through the creation of art and outreach programs, educational programs, and engaging the community in the creation and appreciation of art. Um, the Pow Wow events span 13 cities, Honolulu, Taipei, Tokyo, Nepal, Guam, Seoul, Israel, and others. Uh, we're very lucky to have him on. So thanks, Jasper, for being with us today. Oh, no, yeah. Thanks for having me. It, it's funny because uh, we were talking about this before we started, but um, Kyle brought up your name as someone that he would love to have on the show. And I thought, oh, I, I know Jasper. I know that guy. We, we <laughs> hang out all the time, like just, uh, just you know, informally. Um, our kids go to the same school, so they play and, and we go to your house. I don't know. You guys, don't, I don't think you've ever come to our house, but we go to your house. <laughs> you, you have a, a nice place. Like it's, either, yeah, it's either our house or we go to uh, um, Sabrina and Steve's house. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sabrina and Steve. We yeah. do, we do uh, New Year's Eve and all that stuff together. But, and I, I always have known that Jasper is this super ridiculously talented artist. But when I go hang out with him, I don't want to, I feel like I don't want to ask him about work, you know, like, hey, How's the art, you know, and all, and all that stuff. So How's I, the art? <laughs> so I kind of leave, leave it to small talk. And so we've never really sat down and talked talk uh, business and, and art and whatnot. But you're, I know your big event every year is Pow Wow. And uh, what made you even come up with, with uh, Kakaako and the, the uh, murals and all that stuff? It, it's so, so cool. I mean, just think about how many Instagram pictures you've created over the years. <laughs> yeah, that was like my life goal to try to like create as many selfie opportunities as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what, what uh, made you well, come up with the idea? Well, it's a longer story, I guess I should start. Like, well, I grew up in Hawaii and first chance I got, I left. Um, hmm. I went to Kalani High School. So, uh, so I, I lived not too far from, you know, where I grew up. And, but I, I ended up living in San Francisco for about six years, the Bay Area in general, like in Oakland, Berkeley, and San Francisco, Daly City, et cetera. And I went to art college out there. And when I graduated uh, from art college, um, I didn't know what to do with my, with my degree. You know, they teach you conceptual thinking and technical skills, but the business side of art is always something that isn't as fleshed out when mm -hmm. you're going to art college. Mm -hmm. And then you're wondering like, what do I do with an illustration degree? Right. You know, like how right. do I make a living with this degree, you know, going to like a four-year college, you know, I have a BFA now, Bachelor of Fine Arts. And one thing that I really was interested in is production, like manufacturing, like how to get ideas into physical form. And if I wanted to like make anything for that matter, like a shoe or furniture or a watch or a hat or anything, like, like how do you sort of do that? Um, so I moved to Hong Kong. Oh, wow. Oh, and when I was living, yeah, so... I chose Hong Kong because in a lot of ways, Hong Kong is like a gateway city to China and China being one of the manufacturing capitals of the world, I thought it would be a great place to sort of learn. Right. Uh, and over there, I ended up contacting, um, you know, a lot of different manufacturers and I'm making friends with different agents, et cetera. So I ended up meeting people that, that manufacture for, from, for like Coach, Steve Madden, uh, uh, Ralph Lauren, et cetera. Just mm -hmm. to sort of like understand that world. By the yeah. same time, also ended up working for um, a fashion magazine and blog called Hype Beast, which is geared towards street fashion at mm -hmm. that time. 
and so I started doing all that kind of work, but I was really interested in continuing doing my art as well. You know, since I was a painter and, and an illustrator, and while living in the Bay Area, there's a lot of opportunities for young artists. So a lot of galleries, they do a lot of group shows, you know, there's, there's a lot of support for the arts. And that's one of the few ways that we could also get our work out there. Because at the end of the day, for a lot of artists or designers too, like, you know, doing that kind of work is a very solitary sort of field. Uh-huh. You're oftentimes alone, you know, in front of, in your studio, working, designing, creating. And back then, social media wasn't really a big thing. You know, there was Facebook and everything, but then there wasn't a lot of ways to share your work and, and even to get your work validated. So I would join a lot of group shows while living in the Bay, which I fell in love with and wanted to continue while living in Hong Kong. So I took my portfolio on the different galleries in Hong Kong while I was living there and it got rejected by pretty much every gallery that I reached out to. And the reason I was given is because I um, was the wrong kind of Chinese. Oh. So yeah, because I was American Chinese. So oh, at that time, I was going to say, there's different, okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so then, so then like a hot commodity then was mainland Chinese art. Mm. Uh, mainland China and culture, and this culture was starting to rise and people really wanted to collect mainland Chinese art. So basically Chinese that were from China, like say from Shanghai, Beijing, you know, Shenzhen, Dongguang, Guangzhou, wherever. But me being born and raised in America was, I was like, they, they saw less potential necessarily in my work. And so my reaction to that was starting my own gallery. Mm. So there was like an abandoned restaurant that was empty for about a decade and turned it into a gallery by painting the walls white, putting some, uh, some uh, windows and, and, and doors on it. Uh, the back half or the back quarter was like the, my artist studio. And the very first exhibition was the very first powwow there in Hong oh, Kong. Oh, wow. so in Kong, Hong Kong was it? Yeah. So the location was in Sai Ying Poon, which is just right outside like the main center, which is, um, you know, like areas like Central and Admiralty and Long Kwai Fong. And at that time, there was no subways that went out there. So if you wanted to come to the, and it was also up the steep hill. So that's why the property was cheap. And, uh-huh. and Hong Kong operates in terms of like districts uh, where there's like, a, you know, if you wanted to buy toilets, there's like a toilet district. So if you wanted to buy, you know, oh, um, fabric. You know, textiles, there's a test, textiles district, there's an electronics district. You kind of like know where are they, all the art. Ja- and Japan is to similar to that. Yeah. 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 So everything is just there. So then they're just all competing against each other. So where I was located was the dried seafood district, but also <laughs> the, um, it was also like the funeral sort of sacrifice district. Like, so they would make these sort of paper, like you, it's almost like piñatas where it's like paper versions of things that you would then burn to give to your ancestors in the afterlife. And those things included everything from houses and the sports cars to uh, Louis Vuitton bags. And wow. you could even like burn paper like maids and like drivers and like servants and stuff. <laughs> I think I'd rather do that than burn the actual people. So that's good. That's, I, like yeah, that. so that's, I wanted to like, a good way to be. I mean, it's a belief that's like goes way back, right back to like Chinese Wang and, and terracotta soldiers and it's a Chinese thing that like they still believe to this day. I always wanted to like collect some because they always were so well made and cool but yeah. my mom said it invites ghosts to your home if you try to buy some. Oh really does it? For your, oh, own, no. for your own usage or just for your own sort of decorations. But anyway so I was in that area so which wasn't really like an arts district at all. Um, and, but then that, that was where the first power was and the a big, a lot of the, the initial ethos for a lot of those, that early, that first exhibition was one, 
trying to steer it away from the financial nature of galleries, especially in Hong Kong, because Hong Kong is a very finance-based city. Everything is about money and everything surrounding is about investment. And so I wanted to sort of create art without, with, without that in mind, like without the idea that we're going to sell the work afterwards. Like mm. if we were to all create work together, and without the idea that we have to sell the work, like would we be more experimental? You know, you know, if, yeah, if we destroy yeah, yeah. the work at the end, would we, you know, care as much about sort of, you know, what we paint? Or, and because a lot of people end up just painting what they think will sell, but if yeah. we have, if we remove that side of it, then how would we be more experimental? And how would we work? And also to collaborate with other artists. So we brought in artists from like London and France and um, and uh, Taiwan and and, and Singapore to Hong Kong to work together and also to turn those experiences into more of an open studio where we call paint together and collaborate with each other. And, and then, so that's where the name really came from. Uh, Powwow originally I was inspired by comic books. Mm -hmm. And so then Pow being a punch in the face, which is how I thought the impact had heart that art had on a viewer and while being the reaction to that, but Powwow is a, is a native American um, gathering to celebrate mm -hmm. art, music and culture. So we felt like the spirit of it was kind of in line with what we were trying to do and so we so that was how the name came about in that very first one back in 2010 in Hong Kong and then you know when we wanted you know the idea was then to turn it into a traveling show after that very first one and a friend of mine's uh you guys might know her Krista Whitmire mm -hmm. she yeah. passed away yeah from, uh, from yeah Krista was awesome years ago. Yeah, yeah. I worked so with Krista. She, she knew her for a long time and she convinced me to bring it back home and at first I was kind of hesitant to after, you know, cause I growing up in Hawaii, um, there's an amazing creative community out there, but there aren't as many, like, you know, compared to like say cities like San Francisco and others in other metropolitan cities, there aren't as many sort of galleries and different, you know, things. Well, like I think that. the support lacks here, you know, from, yeah. from government all the way down. I know for on the music side, it's just like funding for things and just getting grants. And it's so hard here compared to other places. Sorry, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like in other cities that we work with, that like now we work in like many cities, and you know some of our projects in other cities are completely funded by the government, by the local government. Yeah. Out yeah. here, the government barely gives us anything, and if they do, it yeah. might come through like HTA, to try to like boost tourism. And right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But then exactly. beyond that, it's like you know, there's really like no funds. I mean, look at our, I mean, look at our kids' elementary school. They cut out arts programs like a couple years right. ago. They have no arts programs at all. Period. And that was, the, and that's the same in a lot of schools around Hawaii. Like arts and music are kind of secondary, mm -hmm. and or thought of as like, uh, as a as hobbies more so than you know something that's integral to their education. When you were going to school in Kalani, how was the art, um, how was the art scene there in in that school? Did you have a lot of classes that helped you and honed your craft? Or not not really. Out? Yeah, I mean, like there was there, there was like one arts class and one photography class, and that was pretty much it. Uh, and then people took them as like, because they assumed there might be like an easy credit. Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, then the, so then the number of like passionate artists, there was maybe like five of us in the whole school. And yeah. were you so guys you like, so yeah, were you like Kyle and just didn't pay any attention to school because you were like, yeah, I'm not going to use any of this. I'm just <laughs> going to work on my art. <laughs> oh, no, I had a tiger mom, man. Like I have like, I'm like second generation Chinese, like. If my grades oh. were good, then I was like, you know, I was, I wouldn't have a home to live in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you get the best of both worlds, right? On. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Well, I, kind well, of, I like, of. I like Jasper's uh, 
outlook on this or, or attitude, I should say, because he's looking at it from both the artist perspective, but also from the back end perspective, right? Of like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm going to hone my craft, but once I have my talent, what do I do with it? Like, what can I, can I do so that um, I can continue to do this and support myself? So that, that's kind of, that was kind of interesting. By the way, did, did the subway ever get up to your, or did, did yeah, yeah. Transport- like after, after I left, like I lived uh, in uh, Hong Kong for about four years and then they expanded the subway uh, stations. And actually there was one, like they ended up building one, like right near where my gallery was. Of course. Yeah, it's it's crazy because uh, we have so Jasper and I have a mutual friend named Dwight and he is in construction and he goes to China quite often. And he was saying it's it is incredible the the amount they're building out there, the speed that they're building uh, is is so so crazy. So you can be in the boondocks in 2010 and by 2020, like the city has caught up to you and now you're part of the city. So I I was just kind of curious. They really like, I mean, like construction goes up really quickly because also because there's less regulation too. So then right. oftentimes in different cities, they're building 24 hours a day. Like there's one shift that's in the day and one shift at night and they just continuously build. There's no like mm-hmm. breaks. You know? So then they get things done quicker just because then there's less regulation. Yeah. That, that's protecting. So. Unless people are sleeping in that area, but yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So, so, Krista, so Krista gets a hold of you. You come okay, and now you're back in, in Honolulu. Yeah. So then I end up, Deciding, you know, let's try it out. Let's try to make something happen, you know, in, in Hawaii, in our hometown. And so uh, I, came, I come back to Hawaii. And of course, you know, the biggest issue is funding. Like, how do you fund an art right. project or, or an art event? Took it to like different potential sponsors, met different people and kind of failed all around. Like we just couldn't get funding because most, most brands or most, most businesses don't see art projects as a good vehicle to promote themselves. Uh, and also, I just didn't have enough like analytics and a, a deck and different things that could sort of prove that it would be worthwhile for them. So that very first one in 2011 Hawaii, I had the options of either just like not doing it or maybe scaling it down, but or or just going for it. And I ended up just pulling out my credit card and paying for the whole thing. Wow! The majority of it. Wow! Put my, putting myself into debt on top on top of like my school loans and everything. But I was young, you know. Nice. I was like in my. Teens, so. Were you married yet? No, you weren't I, married or had kids. I was single. Okay. I had like no no kids. Okay. Well, so you're kind of like, well, this is like the time to do it. Really, is when you're like, <laughs> yeah. having no responsibilities. <laughs> so I ended up just like paying for everything, you know, paying for all the flights, or the all the paint. But luckily, we we had the venue donated, and then my friend Kamea, who's a painter and does a lot of murals around Hawaii as well, um, and, and is currently my partner at Powell as well. Uh, his family was building a house in Pupakea in the North Shore, and then they let us all stay there. So at least we didn't have to oh, pay for housing because mm-hmm. that's like a really difficult cost, especially in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, but, but the only issue is that we have to like drive back and forth between Kaka'ako and uh, and North Shore every day. So that but was. I mean, you're just paying for the artists to come here. That's a lot of money for you to put yeah. up. Yeah, because we end up flying artists from Australia, from all over Europe, you know, wow. all the states. Yeah, we end up, I think that first year we had about like 12 artists or something. Uh, and so then we started doing the same exact project that we're doing in Hawaii. But one thing that, that shifted us to public art is that there was a wall in the parking lot. And this, the, the location was an old fresh cafe on Queen Street. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is now Waikiki Brewing. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so then we realized that Murals kind of fit a lot of the mission that we were shooting for. 
You know, one, it was in the public space, so we, we can share process. Um, we can't sell the work because mm -hmm. it's on the wall and it's like a large scale. So there's no way we can sort of like sell the artwork in any way. Um, and we could also like work together on them. You know, those, a lot of times walls are big enough where we could have multiple artists on them, we could collaborate together. Um, and also it gives art back to the community. Because for a lot of people in Hawaii and in other cities too, um, people sometimes don't feel accepted in different institutions. Like they don't feel like, oh, art museums are for them or something that they, they can go to or want to do. Even in Hong Kong when I had a gallery, there was many people that would sort of look at the artwork from the outside, but mm -hmm. they wouldn't feel comfortable coming inside. Right. But we felt like if you put art on the streets, then it'll become a fabric of their community, of the neighborhood, and it kind of takes art out of those spaces and into, and into the public space and gives it back to them. And it can be sources of inspiration, et cetera. So, you know, that first year kind of opened our eyes to the power of public art and murals. And so that the following year, we did around 12 or so murals uh, all around Kaka'ako. And then the biggest ones we've had are about like 100 artists, or no, about like 120 artists with 100 murals in a week. Uh, and then during that wow. festival, we'll like have, um, you know, block parties, concerts, uh, talks, um, screenings, workshops, et cetera, all throughout the week. And now we do this project, uh, this festival in 17 cities around the world. Man. Oh, and I, I'm assuming are they, they're not all at the same time, right? So all the festivals? No, no, no. Yeah. We're okay. like spread out across the world. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah we kind of like this. The timing is usually based on weather. So what works best? Oh, okay. Yeah, so then like all of our Asia projects are in the fall. Um, you know, American side projects are usually like in the summer or like late summer, midsummer. And uh, Hawaii's the only one we choose February just because it's a cheaper travels season. Mm -hmm. yeah. So those, those of you listening who, who don't quite get an idea, Kaka'ako is an area that is by Alamoana Shopping Center here in Honolulu. And there's a lot of in, industrial space out there. So uh, what Jasper's been able to coordinate is a lot of these buildings now have gigantic murals that have been painted on the walls. And um, it is so cool because it, it's, it's in the perfect space for it. I mean, it's in town, so you don't have to drive far to get to it. Um, but it's not like, uh, I can just imagine, I, I, I would not be one of these people, but I can just imagine if you did it like, uh, you know, in the middle of uh, Hawaii Kai or something. People might go like, "Oh, why is there a thing?" And you know, it's it's in this area where no one's gonna com complain that there's artists drawing on the walls and stuff like that. They did. Oh, Jesus. Oh, okay. No, right. they, no, they complained. They complained. <laughs> I remember, I remember that. Can you explain your relationship you had with Kumeme Schools in order to get all this secured buildings and and the the um that that district? Yeah. So you have to remember how Kakako looked like even like a decade ago or even like a, even like five years ago, like no one really cared about Kakako. Right. Uh, right. Unless you like needed to buy school supplies or from like fishers <laughs> yeah. or yeah. Uh, sure company say, or you got lost. Yeah. yeah. You ended up in yeah. Kakako and you're like, how do I get out of here? Exactly. Um, yeah. Or like you needed your car fixed. Yeah. So, or you, or you didn't want to, or you didn't want to pay for parking in a restaurant rule. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, so then, People didn't really care much about Kakako. Um, it was kind of like a forgotten district in a lot of ways, but it's so, but it's so centralized. Uh, and it's and also so perfect for us because, you know, as John said, it was industrial. So industrial buildings have large walls with no windows or anything on them because a lot of them are like warehouses, et cetera. Um, so then we ended up partnering with Kamehameha Schools because they saw the value of what we were doing. They were familiar with other cities 
in other places where they did similar things and how it kind of brought people in and changed how it looked. Uh, you know, samples such as, you know, Miami, like Wynwood, et cetera. Um, or even like cities like Philadelphia, you know, where there's a lot of public art or like Brazil, you know. So, um, so then they gave us a chance to say, you know, you can paint all these walls. And also I went door to door, us and our team and just asked as well. We also did that. So we know we worked with the developers plus all the other independents, private owners in that area, which also includes ABC stores too, because their headquarters is there in Kakako as well. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of more like private owners too. So it's a lot of just like just boots on the ground, asking around and Kak- and the commitment schools were really open to it. And then they saw the value of it and kept supporting us throughout the years. Um, I can't, because originally I can't they wanted to turn Kakako into like a medical district. People complain because people complain because you got tourists wandering around in Kaka'ako but, and they're standing in front of buildings and they're they're driving slow and they stop. Or you know what I mean? Is that it, it's 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 a lot of NIMBY stuff. So it, it's it so really stupid because the, it really I, I, has nothing to do with the quality of the art or any of that kind of stuff. It's just it's just, it literally because you can you can sit in that park in Kaka'ako and you can watch when tourism was allowed and you would see hundreds of tourists and they just they descend on the place. They take pictures around everywhere and then they walk away and you go, what the heck was that? Yeah. But, but, but as Jasper was saying, it wasn't like, it wasn't like the place was nice. It wasn't like it was a oh, super, yeah, yeah, yeah. and to me, it's more attractive with the, with the murals painted so much more. Interesting. It was the, uh, it's the, uh, early on before the tourists came around, it was, it's the, uh, the broken window theory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a broken window. And then it leads to someone tagging and there's like graffiti and it leads to some drug dealers and homelessness. And so within that cycle of disrepair of a neighborhood, like graffiti and tagging are in that. And if we're using spray paint and painting murals, because in a lot of street artists and, and muralists, some have roots in graffiti and right, tagging. Right. Mm-hmm. They kind of put us into the same category. And so a lot of people early on felt like we were destroying the neighborhood. No. Um, that us being around was sort of lead it to to disrepair and having Kakako sort of fall apart. Because in the beginning, like I would get blamed for everything from like homelessness to like public urination in Kakako. <laughs> and the thing is, like all this stuff was there already. <laughs> yeah, you know? for sure. But then, uh, yeah, then you it was, and it was worse. You're it trying to like beautify, you know. Yeah. So. But it was. I thought it was. I thought it was interesting too because you know when you guys do your art stuff, people don't mess with it. Like it, it may be a, it may be street art, but the it's interesting how the taggers respect the street art. Like if they see it on a wall, most of the time, I would say what it seems like ninety five percent of the time, ninety eight percent of the time, they don't touch it. They just leave yeah. it alone. They move someplace else and they try to find an open wall to do their thing. There's a yeah. there's an interesting respect that happens when you do the art in that way, as opposed to you know, let's get somebody to throw up a mural. Well, the reason why, because we work with a lot of graffiti artists. Um, yeah, so then like as a part of our festival, one, we have to make sure that our roster is at least half local. Mm-hmm. The past Hawaii one, this year's one was 60% local. And a lot of people within, within that group are also graffiti artists, whether they were or they're actively graffiti artists now. And so we try to give them a voice by giving them a wall. Say, hey, you know, we respect your art form and your work. Uh, here's a wall for you to paint on and we'll, we'll give you the supplies and everything you need to sort of paint. And so we've kind of tried to work with all of them in hopes that, you know, they would also, you know, see the power of the art in that community and also, and also what they can 
and, and also to try to change people's con- like perception of graffiti as well. You yeah. Know, so yeah, so then they end up respecting it because they, they believe in the project and what we're trying to do out there. That's so cool. My, my other question is, do you guys, is there a schedule for changing on the walls? Because there are some that have been there for a long time. And I, I know I passed by some and like the next year you go, hey, wait a second. Where's that one that I remember? Yeah. So we change them out like like every year, like like every annual. Year, yeah, oh, and then okay. but um but then some of the ones that stay up either one they um the property owner just loves it and doesn't want to get it changed they just have that they just fell in love with the mural. Two, mm. sometimes the property owners change, and mm. they uh they don't want anyone on their property anymore, but they also like leave the mural up too, which is good. You know, and so uh, there's a lot of different scenarios where that happens where, you know, like we just, or sometimes like the business owner changes mm. and, uh, and they don't like us on the property either. So then they don't let us, but so then that mural end up, ends up staying as well. But because the walls are limited, we end up changing a lot of the mural just because of the lack of walls. Whereas like in other yeah. cities, like when we do the project in Long Beach, California, we don't normally paint over murals. Um, and so then we're just adding more and more murals throughout the city. When you work with these um, community businesses and the artists that's going to be painting on that allocated wall for them, does the artist and the business interact with each other as what's going to be put up as content in their business? I and mean, does it does it does it become part of a requirement for them to kind of do artwork related to that business to help the business, or is it just a blank canvas and they can just throw up whatever they want as far so as that with our festival at least, uh, all the artists donate their time pro bono. Mm-hmm. And even even myself and Kamea and Grass and, and our team also donate our time. It's all volunteer work as a community beautification project. So in that case, we try to have the artists all have artistic and creative freedom for what they're going to paint mm. for their murals. Um, and we don't allow property owners to art direct for that reason. And so and so because of that, then you know. But no, as long as the work is family friendly. Okay. So, you know, no sexual content, uh, no profanity, yeah. you know, and, but also like no religion and no politics either. Because oh. we don't own those walls at the end. So, oh, yeah. uh, so then, we, so but they, they work with, we work with them in a way where we provide sketches so that they are aware of what's going to be. They know what's going to yeah. be. Planned but there. then like, they just can't like art direct it. Uh-huh. So then uh-huh. myself and the team and the Powell team, we try to be the firewall between property owners and business owners and the artists themselves um, so that we can ensure that that happens. Mm-hmm. But then in, in the case where there's commission work, where like, you know, where a business owner is, is paying for a mural, then that's when, you know, they have the ability to sort of art direct, but then we don't do that during the festival. We do that outside the festival. Yeah. And during the festival that's, you know, everyone just is free to just paint what they, what they want to paint. So a lot of um, artists that come here from the mainland during that short period of time for powwow, do they stay and do commission work to make money while they're here then? Is that, is that, uh, no, well, they're usually just here for like a short period of time. Like most of them are only here for maybe like a week or 10 days. Uh-huh. So they're here for the festival and then, and then they leave, but then we cover all the costs going in. So right. then we cover the flights, the hotels, the materials, the lifts, everything. Uh, and then they're just donating their time to give back to the community by, by painting a mural. Some of them end up staying and, and doing other work. Uh-huh. Uh, majority come for the festival and then, and then leave shortly after. And, what I've, what I've heard you guys do is something really unusual where you, you acclimate the, the, the visiting artists to Hawaii culture too. Can you explain a little bit about yeah. that? So, so it's very important for us. And, and that whole program actually helped, was started with uh, Miley Meyer and the Maya. 
she said that it's important for us to sort of like show the real Hawaii. Because there's a lot of misconceptions of Hawaii, you know, like, uh, you know, they're, they might think of Hawaii mainly as what they see in Waikiki or what they see in the films and TV shows. And so we try to teach them about Native Hawaiian culture as well. So in the past, we've taken them, you know, on tours to like Ilani Palace and Paliloka, but also we've, we've uh, harvested and cleaned up, uh, uh, you know, taro farms like Apapahana Koloa. We've worked with Noah to go to like Kaina Point and observe and clean up and plant, um, uh, you know, native plants in, uh, with, uh, you know, out there as well in like federally protected land. And so all those kinds of, and then we also work with Koloa Ranch and then, and then we take them on tours out there as well. So it's important for us to sort of like share the culture of Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, and in hopes that that also inspires their work and also their interactions with people in Hawaii too. It's kind of cool because they get something out of just coming here than just throwing something on the wall and leaving. Yeah, because you know? there's a big like spiritual aspect to being yeah. in Hawaii. And so then we also do, a, you know, we bring in a kahu to do a Native Hawaiian blessing at the start of every festival. And even like a, and, and then even my friend who's a Native American, uh, and he also organizes Native American powwows in Kauai. He comes over and does a Native American blessing in the beginning as well. Oh. And so we try to include all that kind of, you know, cultural aspects because a big part of, of murals and the work that people are doing here are also, you know, cultural storytelling and sharing as well. So then we work with a lot of Native Hawaiians. And so then they also, you know, they tend to share a lot of their culture on murals. So then if you walk around Kakaka, you'll see a lot of Native Hawaiians sort of inspired murals, but also people from other cities and other, and other places are also sharing their cultures too, through their murals. And they're building bridges um, with local people. And so then, and so that whenever they go back to wherever they're from, they can share sort of their experiences and, you know, and then they can share what, you know, what their thoughts of on Hawaii beyond just like being a tourist, you know, but, but being more integrated into the culture of the people. It's cool, cool man. So you know, I've, I've been, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go first, Kyle. Oh, I, I've been to the, um, the last one in February and it was such a successful event, super crowded and a lot of great energy there and everything. Oh, thank you. How does it look this year? I mean, what's your guys' plan? So for 2021, we're not going to have the Powell Festival Hawaii one, just because mm. there's just like no funding available. No. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, due to the recession, like it's going to be tough to sort of raise the necessary funds to make something happen in February. And also, we don't even know if people can even travel in or how hard it will be in February. Because yeah. like, there's just so many like sort of variables that we don't control, right? Yeah. Like right now, like Europe's numbers are skyrocketing and they're going back into lockdowns. You know, we just opened up tourism without the quarantine like last week, but we don't know how long that will last. If there's a large spike in numbers, they might do it again. You know, the tiers might go to tier two, might go back to tier one. So February is so close that it's like, I don't think it's even doable. And then plus there's no funding anyways, but we are working on an exhibition at, at Bishop Museum in May. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. And that will be, you know, the first and probably largest exhibition of its kind, um, you know, surrounding graffiti, street art, muralism um, in Hawaii. Uh, and so we're working on that. Uh, and we're trying to like build a whole like street scene, bring in a lot of amazing artists, put up a lot of artwork in there. So that's probably, that's gonna be our 2021 project in hopes that, you know, that May would be a, a good date to do it, seeing how yeah. things go. Cause then cool. yeah. we're probably not looking at vaccines till like mid to late 2021, you know, realistically, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So we'll see how things go, but we're, we're trying to stay flexible, but also trying to continue the projects in any way that we can. And, you know, you being in contact with all these um, famous artists all over the world, 
during this times, how are they coping with, with COVID and stuff and their business? It's hard. I mean, even myself as well, like I lost like at least like seven, eight jobs this year due to COVID. And also like a lot of it too, is like I travel a lot for work and because I can't travel for work, it becomes more difficult because then I have to like, previously I had to like do a two week quarantine. So I can't like travel then come back and then isolate myself for two weeks in a room in the house or in a hotel, you know, it's tough yeah. to have two kids too. So it's not something that's easily done. Um, so a lot of us are just trying to find ways to just, one, you know, just trying to find other ways to sort of like get our work out there. You know, whether it be, you know, selling prints or creating online stores, but also a lot of work has come back too. Like um, recently, like some of the jobs that fell through have, have, have returned and some, and some new jobs have, have come forward as well. Mm -hmm. So, and I was, I've also been like doing more teaching. So I've like, I taught like a summer class for Iolani and I do different talks uh, for different schools digitally. So, you know, trying to keep myself open to like a lot of different opportunities and just different ways of working. Devin, uh, yes. let's ask, let's ask uh, Jasper about his. So Jasper, oh, this okay. is a music based podcast. So we do have at least <laughs> one music based question per, per episode. So Devin's going to ask it to you. Just so, just so we can qualify it. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a desert island disc question. So basically, if you're going to be stranded on a desert island, we want to know if there are three albums that you would take with you and they can't be greatest hits albums. Oh shoot. That's a, that's a hard one. <laughs> I, I grew up like I was born in the eighties and pretty mm -hmm. much growing up during that period into the nineties and growing up, I was really into gangster rap. All right. So, like, okay. Metro records, you know, bad boys, all that kind of stuff. So, Biggie, so I grew up Tupac, a lot with, like, you know, like, like, like Tupac and Biggie Smalls and all those kinds of rappers, Snoop Dogg, et cetera. I can't pinpoint one that's like off the top of my head, which I would bring more so than the other ones. But I think, I think that era of rap would be one of them. But also like when I paint, I listen to a lot of the Beatles. Oh, really? And, and Queen. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But to be honest, like I'm so bad at like album names just because I stream them. Uh, oh, okay, okay. So I don't know okay. which album, okay. like which song is in what. Well, we'll take, we'll take, we'll take the three artists then. How about that? We'll take, okay. uh, we'll take. What do you want, Biggie, or you want Tupac? Uh, shoot, that's not our one yet. Well, I have to go Tupac, and then I have to go, yeah, like like Queen. Okay, and then the Beatles. The Beatles, yeah, I guess. Well, there's so many. Oh, interesting. What? Okay. Listen to a lot of like old rock too, so it's like kind of like classic rock. Oh, like Boston. Like, like, I don't know why, because I'm like, I just paint better this thing to all that, like, like Oreo Speedwagon and stuff. Like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, they were, they were doing, like, they were doing so much drugs, that's why, when they were making the music. Yeah, it's probably like all the acid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast a couple of times already, but I've been going with my daughter through the decades of the history of rock and roll, you know, and, and how it ties into like just American history and whatnot. And so we went to the beach house this weekend and uh, on the way there, she rode with me and we did the 60s. Man, the 60s was a crazy decade. Like when you think about it, because you had mm -hmm. the beginning of the 60s, which started with the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And then you had the end of the 60s, which then was Woodstock, right? Mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. and, and so you had this really like dynamic switch in culture from one decade to the, to the, to the end. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was just nuts. Yeah. All right. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break right now, and we will come back with Jasper on our Patreon. 
So for those of you who are listening online, uh, please sign up for the Patreon, support the show, and uh, we're going to continue on with Jasper Ong in just a minute.